Father God, we love you. You are so good for us, so good as we come into the season of thanksgiving. Lord, may we giving thanks to you for all you give us, not just this season, but throughout the year. Uh, we thank you for friends, for family, for turkeys and good food, and just the bountiful blessing of your spirit in our daily lives. And as we seek to grow closer to you and closer to the other, we just ask you to lead us daily. May we be like little children at your feet, um, seeking your wisdom and your grace for each day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, my name is Terry. If I hadn't done the introduction before, I'm one of the elders here at South Point, and we're glad you're here with us today. Um, we're continuing our series this week, kind of took a break last week, but we're continuing our series of To God Be the Glory. Um, and today we're talking about the glory of the Holy Spirit. We started out with the glory of God, God the Father, and then two weeks ago it was glory of God the Son, and this week is glory of the Holy Spirit. Um, and next week will be glory of, of his church and his bride. Um, and good news, um, as many of you know, I really like to quote a lot of scripture. Um, and uh, the word spirit is used in the Bible, as you might guess, a lot of times. Um, 211 times in the Old Testament and 376 times in the New Testament. We're not going to try and run through that all now. Um, my my uh, lovely wife back there really appreciates that. She'd be going like this, and you'd all, yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, but I wanted to focus on where where's the Holy Spirit part of the Trinity? Where is it in the glory of God, and where is it in our lives? How does the Holy Spirit impact our lives today? Um, so I thought I'd start, you know, because we did last week, um, with a look at, you know, what, what do we, what's our basic belief? What do we lay out? And then where does that come from? And so let's take a look at, um, this is from our membership class. Um, the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and, Father and the Son of God. He is present in the world to make people aware of their need for Jesus Christ. He is also in the liberating gift of liberating gift of Jesus to those who repent of their sins and put their faith in him. The Holy Spirit lives in you from the moment you place your faith in Christ. He provides the follower of Christ with a power for living, understanding the spiritual truth, and guidance in doing what is right as we live our lives. He is also the giver of spiritual gifts, and as followers of Christ, we seek to live under his control daily, not just on Sundays or days we have life group, but daily we seek to ch chase after him. Um, and there's some pa passages from John in 1 Corinthians. Um, we're going to kind of expand on that a little bit, you know. We really see that, you know, like I said, the 211 times in the Old Testament, 376 times in the New Testament. Again, I'm not going to read them all. Um, but where does it start? Well, literally we see the Holy Spirit right out of the gate, right in, uh, in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar words to, every, to most people. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
So even right as we start out, we see references to the Trinity and the Spirit of God hovering present, present over creation, an active member with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we think to um, the book of John and, and we think of the Word was with God and the Word was God and in the beginning was God. And so we've got, at, when you combine those passages, we see the, the Trinity there present at creation. And the Holy Spirit is sprinkled throughout. The Spirit uh, of God is often referred to as is sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. But let's jump forward to the New Testament because we don't have hours. Um, if wanted to cover everything, we'd be, you know, should have told everyone, bring a lunch and everything else. Uh, but let's jump forward to the New, New Testament and see what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit and, and what he promises. Jumping forward to John 14, 15 through 17. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, often when we come to Christmas time, we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. And we think of Jesus, the little baby, but that was a finite moment in time and a finite person. Jesus could be with his disciples and he was with them for 33 years, but he was physically limited. He was there in the Middle East, physically limited, and he had taken that limitation on he had set aside, or he had veiled himself, as we talked about last week, so that he could be with his disciples and he could teach his disciples. But God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, goes back to those omni things that we talk about with God, God being omnipresent. When Jesus veiled himself, he wasn't omnipresent. He was limited to the Middle East, to that little physical body. Very similar to you and I are limited. He was omniscient. Well, he veiled himself and had to rely on what his father was telling him. And he was not omnipresent, or not, omnip not omnipowerful. I mean, Jesus still was hungry, and he was tempted like you and I, so that he could be the ultimate intercessor. But then when we come to the, the Holy Spirit, we're now back to those omni statements. The Holy Spirit can be omnipresent. He can be with everyone and be everywhere throughout the globe all at the same time. He can be omnipowerful in that he knows what's, or omni, omniscient, knowing what's going on, seeing what's going, going on with our hearts. And as God leads through the power of the, through miracles, if God moves to heal somebody, he can be omnipowerful. He can bring healings, he can bring works of miracles, um, you know, the Bible talks about greater miracles you will do in my name than, you, than he has ever done. And that's through the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of ourselves. See, in the Old Testament, often the Spirit came to individuals at certain times, mostly priests and prophets, for certain moments for God's glory. But as we come into the New Testament, we see that the Spirit is now available to indwell all who would claim Christ as their Savior. 
and be there to convict and uh, direct those who don't yet know Christ as their Savior. So we move into John chapter 16 where we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 through 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking again. For, I do not go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We're going to stop there. See, to our advantage. You've got to think about that for a second. Jesus is speaking here, right? And this is before the cross. So Jesus is saying it's, it's good for, us to, for him to be captured. For him to be put on trial. For him to be beaten. Scourged. Crucified. Died and then buried. And he's saying that's good. I think if in our humanness we were to look at that, we'd say, well, how can that be good? Because Jesus is looking beyond that. He's looking beyond that both to his resurrection power and then what he would send to come. The Holy Spirit who could be with everyone in every place. He was preparing his disciples then and now for the coming of the Holy Spirit that can be in China or South Africa, in Spain and in Chile and the U.S. all at once. And that when he comes, continuing on, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict, that doesn't sound good. But in that term, it even meant more than that. Convict means, in the original, to expose, to refute, and to, to convince. See, often we just think of conviction as, oh, what happens in, in, the, in the courthouse. But the Holy Spirit sees what's happening wherever we are. And he's exposing that to our inner man when we are fallen and walking away in our both pre-Christian days and our Christian days when, when the Holy Spirit is working on us to refute the claims of the enemy or our um, rationalizations and then to convince us of the truth that God is in control. See, because sin, to convict the world concerning sin, sin is when we miss God's mark. Now, if I had my... my compound bow here I could shoot and I could probably hit that exit sign nine times out of ten because I'm aiming for a target but often when we sin we cover up the exit sign because it doesn't look like what it want like what we want it to oh that isn't the mark I want to shoot for I want to I want to be selfish and I want to shoot over there well that's not God's mark God's mark is the exit sign and sometimes we we miss the mark with our actions covered up that sign I didn't want to see it because that isn't the direction I wanted to go and sometimes we we miss the mark because we don't even pull out our bow and shoot we'll miss it by our inactions God told me to go talk to somebody and I chose not to God chose me to have a quiet time and I chose not to and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts us concerning sin because we're called to be righteous. 
See, our biggest sin, we often try and rank personally, oh, that sin is higher than that sin, and, and quite honestly, in God's economy, they're all equal except one. And that's the sin of unbelief. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Jesus calls us to believe in him above all else because there's, at the end of time, there's going to be a reckoning. Is Jesus your Lord, your Savior? Then enter in. Or did you know him not? Did you reject him and not choose him as your Lord and Savior? Did you walk away from him? Did you say, ah, I don't need that? One point in my life, I, I told my then girlfriend that I thought Christianity and Jesus was a convenient crutch. I've since eaten those words. But where's he for you in your life? Is he that inconvenient crutch that you don't want to lean on because you've got it all under control? Or is he that person that you lean on daily for wisdom and grace and mercy and salvation that you want to be part and director of your life? Because the Bible says without him, there is no heaven. There is a narrow road that leads to salvation and there is a wide road that does not. And the choice is up to you by the leading of the power of the Holy Spirit. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Jesus' ascension into heaven shows his righteousness. And at the same time, it also shows the world's unrighteousness. Because you see, we all, like Adam and Eve, we rejected the commands of our Savior, the leading of God the Father, and we've turned to our own way, and God would lead us back through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow after him. And concerning judgment became the ruler of, because the rule of this world is judged. See, Satan fell, and he's the ruler of this world today, but only under the power of God, because there will be a final reckoning between God and his rebellious creature, creature Satan and his minions, and us. And the Holy Spirit warns the world of this coming judgment. In the Old Testament, we see God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And in verse 12, we see that Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you care not bear them now. All too often in our lives, God just puts that light just on dimly. Because he knows we can only handle certain things. And even to his disciples who had walked with him for three years, they were still struggling to truly understand the message Jesus was telling them. They didn't fully understand that even at that moment as we had talked about, he was preparing them for his coming crucifixion. And they were struggling with what they saw for him. Because you see, their faith was rooted at that point in the physical, actual presence of Jesus Christ. Oh, he's not going to go anywhere. He's, he's got this all under control. They had envisioned him as the coming king. He was the coming king. But he was the king who would die on the cross for our sins. And then he would go away and be buried. And for three days they would struggle with, now what? 
and then he would be raised to life again in newness and showing his power over sin and death that he is the firstborn of the new creation. And then Jesus went on to say, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine, and therefore I say he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And if you think for a minute, that's very similar words that Jesus had spoken further back in John. When Jesus went out to pray, and just like Jesus only did what the Father told him do, so also his Holy Spirit does what the Son tells him to do. See, in John 6, 37 through 39, Jesus prays aloud and all that the Father gives to me will, I, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing for all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see that line of communication? God the Father to God the Son. God the Son to God the Holy Spirit, three in one, communing with one another. Constantly communing, constantly in that, that perfect circle that we can't fully understand. We try and talk about like Venn diagrams. JD, when he uh, did his Cliff Notes back a few months ago, um, had, a, had a diagram on the screen and I almost stole it, but I said that was his. Um, <laughs> But we, we can try and talk about God being, being Venn diagrams, but even that falls short because that still implies that there's some kind of separation. And that separation really isn't implied in scriptures, but they're three in one. Isn't that incredible that God is so outside our existence that we, we try and come up with these diagrams over thousands thousands of years and we still fall short. But the good news, even as God is convicting and his disciples aren't understanding, but there's a promise from Jesus to us in the book of Acts, Acts 1, 7 through 8. And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed upon his own authority, but you, the disciples and us, his disciples now, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Welcome, you're all. Welcome to the end of the earth. Because that's what we reviewed back then. We are the end of the earth. The disciples couldn't have imagined today. But God knew today. The disciples couldn't imagine any of what we consider normal today. But God knew it. And more importantly, God knew your name. Even then, if you look back in Psalms 139, yeah, I reference that a lot because that's just my favorite psalm. But he knew the number of your days before they were counted. He knew the number of your hairs, how many or few you may have. 
And his thoughts for you are more numerous than the sands on the sea. Even back then. And he has a promise for you and for me. That we will have power when we let the Holy Spirit come into our life. The power to resist the enemy who, who shall flee. The power to walk in newness of life. And the power to be his witnesses in spite of everything that happens. An example of that is when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost arrived in Acts 2, they were all together in one place in unity and waiting about 10 days after Jesus had um, arisen to be in the heavens. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. Notice that they had to wait 10 days. Who here likes waiting 10 days? Anyone like waiting 10 days? I mean, you've got to wait a whole bunch of days till Christmas, but there's a lot to do. But just being told, wait. If I told you 10 days from now something cool is going to happen, actually, I just told, if you look at what he says, he just says, wait. It doesn't even give him a time frame. It just says in God's full time. So they're sitting there, hanging out. And all of a sudden, suddenly, and physically, from heaven, a mighty work of God happens. To the glory of God, not to man. Oops, sorry, I should have read verse 2 first. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And it divided into tongues as fire and appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Fire in the Old Testament is often, and in the Bible is often referred to as purification. Gold is refined with fire. Metals are refined in fire. Our lives are refined in fire. It even talks about um, the dross being burned up with fire. It came to purify them. And we even, when we talked about Isaiah, it was the coals from the fire purified Isaiah as the coal was put on his lips. And it just didn't come to us a big group with a big flame over the entire house, but it came to each one individually, showing God's individual love for them. And then it sat on them and rested on them. It didn't jump around. It wasn't like one flame here and one flame there and then it wait and then it move on. But it sat on them all as a group, all of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's the amazing thing about that and the miracle of that day. The disciples from Galilee, they were the rednecks of the day. They were the unlearned, and in the particular dialect of, of um, Hebrew that they spoke, there were some, because of what they learned, there were limitations to what they could actually pronounce. But yet, 
They spoke of the mighty works of God, as it goes on, in 13 different languages, at least. And those languages would have been nearly impossible for anyone who came out of that redneck society to be able to pronounce. But yet God, through his miraculous power, was they were able to speak clearly of the mighty works of God to not their glory, because they were quick to point it back to God and his power and his life that the, that the Spirit was giving them utterance. And this even refers back further back to John the Baptist in Matthew talking about Jesus saying, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Holy Spirit comes to purify us to strengthen us, to give us mighty works that we might be his witnesses to the end of the earth. See, the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's a gift from God. See, because after that, Peter then preached a sermon. The same Peter who had just you know, 50-some days before, denied Christ three times, and then Christ had to restore him. The same Peter that thought he'd be stoned to death stand up and gave a wonderful sermon. At the end of the sermon, they asked, what should we do? If you had denied Christ to a crowd, would you then be, and then the crowd said to you, what should you do? The only thing that that's possible through is the, po the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, as many know, means to turn away. Not just be remorseful. Oops. But to turn away. To recognize that as missing the mark. And to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the same man who they had crucified, they're now being told to trust. To be baptized. See, back in that, that day, baptism was only for Gentiles who wanted to come and be part of the Jewish religion. But what he's saying is all need to be baptized because they're baptized into a new faith, into the faith of Jesus Christ, not just a faith of inheritance of who your parents are, but a faith of who your Savior is. Baptism is also an outward sign to the world that they might know, and when we do it here, it's an outward sign of the inward transition of what has happened in your heart and in your life. Because we're called not to hide it, but to proclaim it. 
Continue on verse 39. For the promise is for you and your for children and for all who are far off, us. Everyone who would call on the Lord, everyone who called on our God, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself, sorry. There's a promise that God will call and has called and is continuing to call people to the ends of the earth to himself. Even the ends of the earth like Abilene. So you say, now what? Galatians 4, 3. In the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as his sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We get to call the king and king and lord of lords, Abba. Literally, Daddy, because he wants that personal daddy relationship with us, not that far-off relationship that we see often in religion, but in Christ we have relationship. In Christ we have newness of life. In Christ we're called to no longer live as a slave, but as a son and as an heir through God. The Bible would say today, if you do not harden your heart, but today soften your heart to the work of the Holy Spirit. Today God is calling to many of us to not walk as we have in the past, but to walk in the newness of life First of all, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's the first call. And second, are you walking with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you walking in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5.22 says the fruit, notice the term is singular, not plural, It's kind of like a bunch of grapes. Most of you probably know these from school or from Sunday school class or wherever. The singular fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no, no law. And those who bring Jesus Christ, those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified in the flesh and with its passions and the desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Are you in step with the Spirit? Are you walking in the fruit of the Spirit? Is He in your life? I know I can often tell how my walk and my life are going by, um, by my patience. 
by my gentleness and by my self-control. See, when we're walking toward the mark and we're looking as Peter did when he got out of the boat and Jesus called out to him, we can walk toward that mark when we're single and focused. But when the wind and the waves come and start crashing, our own desires come, we often start looking toward the wrong thing. And then we start missing the mark. How are you walking? Are you chasing after him? Or if you're chasing after yourself, God calls you to repent, to turn toward him, and let him lead you today. Let's close in prayer. Father, all too often, we step away from the mark. We turn our gaze away. We get distracted. Lord, help us to repent and fix our eyes on you. Help us aim toward the mark that you've set before us to give you glory, to share you with those who don't yet know you. To let you lead us day by day as we walk in your word and walk in your love. Not for ourselves, but for you. For the working of your Holy Spirit in our lives. To the glory of your Son and yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.